0: Thank you, John. Appreciate that. Um, (laughs) And good morning, everyone. It is a a real privilege to be in God's Word with you this morning. Uh, As you know, we are continuing our study in the Gospel of John, and it's helpful to talk about the structure of the book and understand that. As we've talked about, the Gospel of John really has two parts, two sections that we call the Book of Signs and the Book of Glory. In the first section, the Book of Signs, it's chapters 1 through 12, we see the signs or the attesting miracles of Jesus. They give testimony that He is who He says He is. John tells us that he records these signs, these signs of Jesus, so that we may believe that He is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we may have life in His name. The second section, the Book of Glory, contains the farewell discourse and the passion of Christ. We're currently right in the heart of the farewell discourse. It's found in chapters 13 through 17. It's where Jesus gives final instructions to His disciples right before the cross. Bible commentators disagree on the physical location of Jesus and His disciples in our text today. We talked about in uh, John 14, 31, where it says, arise and let us go from here. And then in John 18, 1, it says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook, Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. So some believe that Jesus doesn't leave the upper room until chapter 18. They say that in 1431, Jesus was just saying, let's go, but that they didn't actually leave the upper room until 181. As we say here in the South, they were fixin' to leave. Um, But that would mean that Jesus and his disciples were standing around for three chapters. So I think it's easier for us to picture them leaving in 1431, continuing the farewell discourse as they walk to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's night and the streets of Jerusalem are quiet. It's easy to imagine them passing a vineyard and Jesus pausing there and talking about how He is the true vine. The departure in 181 then is leaving the walled city of Jerusalem. The Garden of Gethsemane is across the Kidron Valley from Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives. The other note uh, on the context of today's passage is that Jesus has just said that he is the true vine. We're to stay connected to the true vine in order to bear fruit. So what flows from the vine through the branch ends up, in the fruit. So what is it that is passed through the branch from the vine? Well, Jesus tells us in in verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Think of it as the sap of divine love between the Father and the Son. It originates in the vine, it flows through the branch, and it results in fruit. So with that context for today's passage, let's start. Uh, we pause to ask that you would illuminate your word for us this morning. Impart to us words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by your spirit. Apply these truths to our lives. Convict us as, as you have convicted me uh, with this passage of my own failings to love my brothers and sisters as christ has loved us teach us to obey your commands and may we experience the resulting joy and abundant life that you have for us show us your glory amen a few weeks ago susan and i attended my 45th high school class reunion It was a lot of fun to catch up with classmates and experience the feeling of nostalgia. Uh, One guy played music from our era, which brought back a lot of memories. One of the songs that he played was Danny's song. Now, some of you that don't know it by its name may remember the chorus. Even though we ain't got money. I'm so in love with you, honey, and everything will bring the chain of love. Yeah, you got it. (laughs) So the song was on Loggins and Messina's debut album. It was written by Kenny Loggins for his brother Danny on the birth of his son. The song talks about the chain of love that Danny and his wife had for each other which resulted in their son, and how that love unites them to each other and unites them to their son. In our text today, we see a different, infinitely more important chain of love. It's the profound love that unites the Trinity to each other and unites God to the disciples and in turn unites the disciples to one another. It's a chain of love that starts with God himself and spills over to believers, which results in believers loving one another. By an unbreakable chain, love for God is tied to and verified by love for other believers. In our text today, Jesus will give love's command in verses 12 and 17. It will be further unpacked By love's model in verses 13 to 15 and love's purpose in verse 16. So first we'll see love's command. It's like bookends for our text. We see it in 12 and in 17. Look at verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. It's repeated in verse 17. These things I command you so that you will love one another." This is an old new commandment. I say old because it was mentioned by Jesus uh, previously. Uh, It was mentioned only minutes or at most a few hours before as part of the same farewell discourse. Chapter 13 verse 34 says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you you also are to love one another the command to love others is not a new one what made this new was the part that said as I have loved you the Old Testament already instructed Israel to love God to the extent of their capacity Deuteronomy six five says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. In Matthew twenty two thirty-seven, Jesus quotes this verse from Deuteronomy, then says, This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. The Old Testament command was to love God with everything that is in us. But the new command is for the disciples to love one another as Christ has loved us. Jesus' own love deepens the Old Testament command and takes it further. The standard for our love is Jesus himself. How can we possibly love as Jesus loved us. From a purely human perspective, we can't. But this command isn't given in a vacuum. The whole context of this command, remember, is the metaphor of the true vine and the branch. As we saw last week, to produce fruit, we must stay connected to the true vine. We're to stay connected to Jesus by abiding in his love. We love God in the chain of love because we have been loved. As John says in 1 John four nineteen. we love because he first loved us. The more we abide in Christ, the more we understand the hideous sight that is our sin and how great is his grace which is greater than all of our sin the more we stay connected to the true vine the more we love the love of christ we love our brothers and sisters from the heart because we have been loved by god god loves us with an empowering love that allows us to love one another in the chain of love how do we do this practically The only way we can love each other the way Jesus loves us is by gazing at Jesus. We don't love each other because we're lovely, because sometimes we're not. We love each other by looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. He has sacrificially loved us. Out of love for him, we sacrifice for one another it's not about sacrifice because someone deserves it or has earned it just as i don't deserve the fact that god loves me are you loving your brothers and sisters in christ as jesus has loved us do you have something against your brother or sister Has someone said something hurtful to you has someone sinned against you Do you need to confess that you have sinned against them, that you have not loved them well? Then go and talk to them, confess and forgive, be obedient to love's command. If you're not a believer, if you feel that you are outside the chain of love, Jesus invites you to repent and believe in him, place your trust in Jesus to save you. There are two attributes of God that led to Christ coming to earth and dying for our sins. The first is the love of God. How many of you children have memorized John 3.16? Raise your hand if you've memorized it. Okay, okay. All right, so help me out here. Let's say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Okay. All right. Thank you, children and others. (laughs) Uh, So God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. The other thing that led to Christ coming to earth and dying for our sins is the justice of God. God is holy in his... His justice demands a penalty for our sin. Jesus paid that penalty for us on the cross. His sacrifice removes us from the wrath of God that we deserve. Jesus reconciles us to God. He redeems us from our bondage to sin. He forgives us and he lavishes the riches of his grace upon us. In love, he adopts us as his sons and daughters. The profound love the Trinity has for one another is in turn poured out on us and results in us loving one another. Love one another as I have loved you. Next, the chain of love is further unpacked for us by love's model in verses 13 to 15. Look at verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. We're told to love one another as Christ has loved us. Now Jesus explains what that love looks like. It's a love that's willing to lay down one's life for another, it's a sacrificial love. Not only does he explain it, in a few hours he will model that love. He will lay down his life for his friends on the cross. You might ask then, who are Jesus' friends? His answer is in verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Obedience and faith are closely linked. Hebrews 11 lists the heroes of the faith, the reality of their faith, was demonstrated by obedience. Obedience is not the means of salvation, but it is the inevitable result. Obedience does not earn us God's love or friendship, but obedience is a characteristic of his friends. So children, help me illustrate this by answering some questions, okay? What kind of fruit do you find on an apple tree apples Apples. okay all right what kind of fruit do you find on a peach tree Peaches. peaches great good answer okay now the next question is harder so listen carefully when you first plant an apple or a peach tree it takes some time for them to begin to produce fruit so before we begin to see apples or peaches Are these trees fruit trees? No. I'm hearing no, I'm hearing yes. Yeah, I think they're still fruit trees, right? They don't have any fruit on them, but they're still fruit trees. So the apples and the peaches don't make it a fruit tree, but it is what we expect to see, at least on an older apple tree or fruit tree or peach tree. We would call it a characteristic of mature apple and peach trees. So in the same way, the disciples don't earn Jesus's friendship through obedience, but it is a characteristic of his friends. Put differently, obedience doesn't earn love. Obedience is the evidence of love. In response to God's love for us, we love him And we demonstrate our love for him through obedience. Specifically, the context here is obedience to the command to love one another. No doubt the Apostle John had this command in mind when he writes in 1 John 4.21. And this commandment we have from him, from Jesus. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Brother meaning brother or sister in Christ. Right before that, he says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. By an unbreakable chain, love for God is tied to and verified by love for other believers. Loving our brothers and sisters in Christ is the evidence that we love God. Verse 15, no longer do I call you servants for the all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Jesus calls his disciples friends. As his disciples, that applies to us as well. That almost never happened in the Old Testament. Abraham was called a friend of God. In Exodus thirty-three, 11, we're told, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. But beyond that, there aren't any examples. Being called a friend of God is an elevated title, even above disciple. Scottish minister and theologian, William Barclay, writes this about the phrase, friend of God. This phrase is lit up by a custom practiced at the courts of both Roman emperors and kings of the Middle East. At these courts, there was a very select group called Friends of the King or Friends of the Emperor. At all times, they had access to the king. They even had the right to come into his bedchamber at the beginning of the day. He talked to them before he talked to his generals, his rulers and a statesman. The friends of the king were those who had the closest, most intimate connection with him. In our text, Jesus tells the disciples that he doesn't call them servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Servants are told what to do. The master doesn't explain why but with friends we're given more information we have a greater understanding in our obedience what is it that distinguishes friends from servants revelation this is the pattern that we saw with abraham and moses the only old testament characters that were called friends of god both had extraordinary access to the mind of God so what does that mean for us today we who have been given what Old Testament Saints never knew we have the revelation of God in the person and work of Christ Jesus has sent the paraclete to us the Holy Spirit to come and help us we have both the Old Testament and the New Testament we are more privileged, more comprehending than any believers who came before. And yet, we often neglect his word. We take scripture for granted. The Bible sits on our shelf. We don't cultivate a regular spiritual discipline of studying scripture. We don't seek to know all that Jesus had made, has made known to us from the Father. Our God is there and he is not silent, but he has spoken to us and he has given us his word. Our knowledge of God in scripture is not exhaustive, but it is sufficient. He has told us all that we need to know for salvation, all that we need to know to live an abundant life all we need to know to be men and women of god complete and equipped for every good work may god use his holy word to stir up our love for him and strengthen the chain of love finally we see love's purpose in verse 16 you did not choose me but i chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Rabbis of that day did not choose their disciples. Rather, the disciples would attach themselves to a rabbi and follow him wherever he went. But Jesus breaks with the practice of his day, and he chooses his disciples. So why does he do that to what purpose are his disciples chosen he gives three reasons in verse 16. These three reasons apply to us as disciples of Jesus just as they did to the original disciples first Jesus chooses and appoints his disciples for the purpose of bearing fruit but what is this fruit Is it the fruit of the Spirit or the fruit of making disciples? Well, in John's Gospel, fruit is used broadly, so it means both. But here, in this context, there's a special emphasis on making disciples. The reason is that it's fruit that we are appointed to go and bear. Appointed carries with it the idea of being set aside for ministry this and the idea of going to bear fruit leads me to understand that the emphasis here is on the fruit of making disciples it's the fruit from the great commission we should see that fruit in our lives the second purpose for which we are chosen is that we should bear fruit that abides fruit that lasts fruit that has an enduring quality As we go into all the world to make disciples, uh, we're to gather them into the church through baptism. We're to teach them to obey all that Christ has commanded, including the command to love one another. The fruit is abiding fruit because these believers have saving faith. They're gathered into the church through baptism meaning that the church agrees with them that their confession of faith is in god in christ is good and the fruit is abiding because through teaching the church presents them mature in christ that was the goal of paul's ministry and it should be the goal of ours as well in colossians 1:28, paul says him jesus We proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Third, we're chosen so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give it to you. We're chosen to pray in Jesus' name. So remember, praying in Jesus' name does not mean saying the words in Jesus' name at the end of your prayer. It's not a magical incantation. Praying in Jesus' name is praying in accord with his will and his person. It's bringing a request to Jesus that you know he would sign his name to. So this verse is very similar to what Jesus said in chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Both our passage today and the passage in chapter 14 are conditional. It is, if you ask me anything in my name. The difference is that before it was asking Jesus in Jesus's name, now it's asking the Father in Jesus's name. But in both, God is granting the request in the context of the Great Commission. In chapter 14, Jesus was talking about praying in his name for the purpose of greater works, meaning the proclamation of the gospel throughout the whole earth. In the same way, our text today says that we were chosen for the purpose of bearing fruit. This is fruit, the fruit of making disciples as part of the Great Commission. There are three things that stand out to me in ch- bathed. In prayer. Trying to make disciples without prayer is like trying to drive a car without an engine. God chose and appointed us so that we might pray in Jesus' name while bearing abiding fruit. The second thing that stands out to me in verse 16 is that prayer in Jesus' name will be effective. We pray in accord with Jesus' will in person so that the Father may give it to you. We should be bold in our Great Commission prayers. We already know the result of the Great Commission. We're told in, in Revelation, In heaven there will be a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. The third thing that stands out to me in verse 16 is that the purpose of God choosing and appointing us is not so that we can become comfortable in our exclusive bubbles. It's to invite others into the union of love that joins believers with the Trinity. And one of the ways we do this is by loving one another. Jesus said this in John 13, 35, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. People will know that we are disciples because of how we love one another. Many will see it and be drawn to the source of that love. They will follow the chain of love and find God himself. We started this morning by Talking about Danny's song by Kenny Loggins, the song talks about the chain of love that Danny and his wife have for each other that resulted in their son. In an even greater way, the profound love that the Trinity has for one another is poured out on the disciples and results in the disciples loving one another. It's a chain of love that unites the Trinity and unites believers to God and unites believers to each other. Jesus gave the command, love one another as I have loved you. The standard of our love is Jesus himself. We don't love each other because we are lovely, because sometimes we're not. Practically, the only way we can love each other the way Jesus loves us is by gazing at Jesus. Jesus models that love by laying down his life for us, his friends. He chooses and appoints us for the purpose of bringing others into that chain of love. One of the ways we witness to the world is by loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. By an unbreakable chain, love for God is tied to and verified by love for other believers. May we be rooted and grounded in love and have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, you have loved us with an everlasting love, with a sacrificial love, with an infectious love. Teach us to love one another as Christ loved us. May your Holy Spirit apply this passage to our lives. May we be obedient to love's command. Amen.